The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to, no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet full of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, you're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. This is Front Row, and I'm your host, James Whiteside, principal dancer and choreographer with American Ballet Theater and the author of Center Center. Take a seat in the front row as I discuss the creative process and the business of creativity with the world's brightest stars. Isaac Mizrahi has worked extensively in the entertainment industry as an actor, host, writer, designer, and producer for over 30 years. He is the subject and co-creator of Unzipped, a documentary following the making of his fall 1994 collection, which received an award at the Sundance Film Festival. He hosted his own television talk show, The Isaac Mizrahi Show, for seven years, has written two books, and has made countless appearances in movies and on television. He currently serves as a judge on Project Runway All-Stars. Not only is Isaac incredibly accomplished, but he is a huge inspiration to me as an artist and as a performer. Front Row is a frank discussion about the creative process and the business of creativity with some of the world's brightest stars. What does it mean to be a creative? And how does a creative earn a living while staying true to their art? I have been exploring these questions my whole professional career. I'm the host of Front Row. My name is James Whiteside, and I'm a principal dancer and choreographer with American Ballet Theater in New York City, one of the world's most prestigious ballet companies. Join me as I speak to artists and professionals in the business of art while we try to find the answer to the elusive question, how can I be successful in the arts? Check your ticket and take your seat. You're in the front row. Isaac Mizrahi, I am so happy to have you here on the inaugural episode of Front Row. This is the first episode? You are a star and you are my first guest. C'est moi. (laughs) I'm really, really so grateful to you for doing this and being my first guest. My pleasure, darling. I'm grateful to you for having me as your inaugural virgin. (laughs) So I have a whole slew of questions for you. And I've actually just finished listening to you tell your own story in your memoir, I Am. Really? Yes. That's I'm crazy for you. Thank you. I'm glad you so you listened to the, the, the book. Yes. I mean I've read the book, but I wanted to hear your voice. So I listened to the audiobook, which is absolutely fantastic. Thank you. I mean, I'm glad you think so. I 
couldn't deal with it. I hated it. I hate everything about, I don't love the idea of audiobooks. I love to read a book, you know? And I feel like if somebody reads it aloud, it automatically has a whole character that it wouldn't if you were the person just looking at the words. You know what I mean? So I am not the biggest advocate for, but I understand. And especially, listen, if you have to get someone to narrate my memoir, it's best that it's not, you know, Jeremy Irons or something. <laughs> it's best that it's me. I mean, you know? I think reading, uh, listening to a, a memoir via audiobook is correct because you're getting the voice of the author and your voice is so distinct and fabulous. And it was wonderful. And I recommend that everyone go out there. I read your book, but I don't know if you, I don't listen to the yes, audio. Yes, which I also I hated. I hated I recording my hated. audiobook. Hated, hated. And I think I was awful at it too. And they were like, oh, good job. And I just didn't agree with them. Me too. Exactly me. Exactly my feelings. Okay. So I've got some questions though. As I was listening along, I was taking notes and thinking to myself, okay. I don't want this to be a boring interview. So are you ready? Fasten your seatbelt. I'm ready, I'm ready. Fastening seatbelts. So one of my favorite things you said was, this is a quote here, the sacrificing of almost everything else to hard work. Just as a phrase there, I yeah. feel so much on a personal level. And I wanted to ask you what the first thing you sacrificed was. You know, I have to say, I, 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 the one thing when I look back on that phrase that I don't like is the word sacrifice, because I don't know what I would do if I didn't work hard. So it's like, I'm not exactly sure what I think I'm sacrificing. I mean, I, I would say like I sacrificed vacationing because I'm not a vacation kind of a guy. You know, I sacrifice a lot of relationships. Like I don't care that much about people except the ones that I love, you know. Um, and so like I, I sacrificed a lot of that. And I have to say, like, I sacrificed going out to some extent or something, even though I did go out, you know, I went out a lot. But um, but so not exactly sacrifice. It's more like, you know, the dedication to work, right? The dedication to work kind of supersedes the dedication to everything else including relationships, you know, and I make that really clear. I make that really, really clear. And I honestly think that that's what I love about my husband is that he doesn't make it an issue. He does, he's not needy for, you know, for, 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 he doesn't need me to prove to him that I love him more than my work or something. Mm. Cause he knows I don't, you know, he knows <laughs> I, I don't love anything more than my work, you know? But. So to me, or at least for me as an artist, I think family is one of the first things to be sacrificed. Do you agree? Oh my, God. oh my God. Absolutely. Bye. Bye family. I mean, the thing is my family, um, and you may have gathered this from reading the memoir. It's like, you know, I love them in air quotes, right? But I don't have much kind of like, um, I don't have much in common with them any longer, mm. you know, and we do come from the same place, but even in that place, I was very, very kind of miscast. I wasn't supposed to be, I don't know where, what family I was supposed to be in. And then I think about, you know, all those episodes of RuPaul Drag Race where you have a drag queen crying because they found their, you know, they found their tribe. Mm. 
And, you know, I found my tribe and that bond is very great. You know, the bond that I have with the people that I trust and that I love and who I look to for inspiration and, you know, and solace and advice, etc. Those people I really adore. And, you know, my family, I have to say, I love my mom. My mom has been my best friend forever. You know, she's, she's not all that. She's 94 years old. So, I mean, she's barely barely cognizant of stuff anymore, which makes me really sad. But you see what I mean? It's like my sisters, you know, I like them. I love them in air quotes again, you know, and it might hurt if they heard me say this. Somehow I don't think they're going to be downloading your podcast. (laughs) What a shame. They'd love it. Uh, They would love it. I mean, you know, the thing is we have an understanding, which is a nice thing. I think they understand me and I understand them now. To go back to your comment about Drag Race, um, they're crying about finding their chosen family, but they're also in that same episode crying about the acceptance they wish they had from their families. And something I struggle with a lot and a lot of artists struggle with is the feeling of guilt that they have from leaving their families in the dust. Do you struggle with that? You know, it's a very good question. Not really so much. I never did because and you know you know what i struggle with i don't struggle with guilt feelings about leaving my family in the dust what i struggle with is this pressure that it seems like literally every single book and every single television show and every single movie you watch there's this pressure to sort of go back and sort of fix what went wrong in the family in the actual family and I don't have time for that. I don't want to do that. I don't need to do that, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm not kidding. There was this crazy show. I mean, even gay shows, even even RuPaul Drag Race will have, you know, someone's parents on in order for them to reconcile. I'm not so sure it's that important, you know, James? I don't think it's that important for you to need to reconcile like that with with your family. I think if you have a grasp on where they are and where you are and how the twains should never meet, mm. then I think it's fine. Like, what is that? Do you, do you know what I'm talking I about? Do, it's like, I do. And you have to go back. You have to go back. And I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. Yeah, I don't either. And I think it's strange when people are forced to reconcile and perhaps it's only because they've found themselves on television. You know, it just feels <laughs> kind of icky. No, but I mean, literally every single episode of The Real Housewives or The Godfather or any single thing you can think of, the family, darling, it's all about the family. And so that's what I wish would go away because I don't believe that so much. I want to do away with all that. That's a myth. I think people would be much happier if they didn't, you know, and listen, I know people who love their siblings and love their family and love that and they go away. And, you know, this friend of mine recently, passed away and she was this erudite unbelievable woman like she had this huge life you know on many continents right and amazing people that were her friends that you know right like you know fabulous esthetes and fabulous intellectuals mm. and you know her 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 funeral which was via website you know it was via it was via zoom because it was during covid yeah. right and it was shocking to me like the people who spoke were her family. It was like, you know, and she loved them. She went back Mm. to this place in Florida, which, I mean, already you said the word Florida. So my head, I have to go, you know, (laughs) exactly. She went back there and she did that. She went 
And she, you know, it was rabbis and davening and it was, you know, her sister and the kids. I mean, it was like, wow, I can't believe she doesn't have the head of the Met or something, mm. you know, the museums and all over the world speaking about how wonderful she was and how much they loved her. You know what I mean, yeah. right? It's just shocking. Yeah. I mean, I sort so. of respect that in a, in a way. Me too. Me too. And, 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 and one of the final speeches was actually someone who worked at the Met mm. for a million years. And he said, you know, this incredible curator, a great friend of her, best friends. And he said, you know, her secret weapon was Tampa. And she went, went back to her family and she went back to Tampa. All the, and I'm thinking like, I mean, I wish this was the case, mm. you know, but somewhere I don't, I, honestly, my secret weapon is my husband and my dogs or yeah. something, you know? Speaking of, you know, where you came from, how did growing up in a seemingly stifling religious community help or hinder your success? You know, I think it really helped because it was such a poor start. It was such a poor start. And so this sounds very, but I think it's a principle of life, you know, expect less Hmm. and get more, Hmm. you know, and when you get more, you feel so incredibly great about the little tiny bits that you get, you know, but I think that that is the secret to a good life. The secret to good life is, is to be born in this position, to be able to take care of yourself, right? To find your own way, not a lot of money, not so great to be born rich as we've witnessed again and again, Mm -hmm. you know, not so great to be porn poor either, right? Like those two poles, you got to watch out when you're choosing your destiny, right? Like don't be born too poor and don't be born too rich. Like kind of a middle moment is very good, you know, with this, with the ability to take care of yourself, you know, and as Ingrid Bergman said, good digestion and a short-term memory, like a very, very bad memory, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know why babies aren't choosing better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, I used to see this Ayurvedic psychic and he convinced me that people chose their hmm. destinies. And do you believe in that? I believe in it to an extent. He believes in it and I believe in him. So hmm. that's what I believe. You know, I, be- I believe in what I really believe in, which is the science of astrology, mm-hmm. mostly, you know, the vibrations of the planets and how they affect things. Yeah. That- outcome of things. And also, you know, I will sit for a tarot reading here and there because I think that's also got to do with energy vibrations. You handle the cards, you give them your own kind of, and they tell you the story that you need to hear. Yeah. I I really enjoy tarot as well. My mother taught me how to do tarot readings when I was a child and I loved them. And I would go to the American Ballet Theater summer programs and do tarot readings for everyone in the halls. It was very fun. Wow. And I still yeah, you enjoy gotta it. You got to get a darling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> still enjoy it. So people refer to it as workaholism, but that's the way I am, you said. Care to explain? Well, yeah. I mean, there's another thing about if you work that much, people will judge you. They'll say like, oh, you know, take a break. Oh, what's wrong with you? Why do you work so much? And I don't know why I do. I just do. I like it better than anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I really do. I like it better than anything. And I and I swear, you know, especially through these past two and a half years with everything that's been going on between the pandemic and this crazy Ukrainian thing, I mean, that will crush the spirits mm. of people. That will crush your spirits. And the thing is that through work, you kind of come back. It pulls you back. You have to stop being hysterical, stop thinking about stuff, and you have to ground yourself and put yourself in this spot and do what you're supposed to do, you know? And by do, and, and honestly, like 
okay, you can call, you can say it's a form of denial. It might be, it might be a form of denial, but what a blissful, blissful form of denial it is, you know? And by blissful, I just mean you, you're concentrated and you feel like you're accomplishing or not. You feel, you feel feeble that day or something because you can't bring it that day, mm-hmm. right? It's a feeling and it's it's on a track and it's something as opposed to just wallowing, you know? And um, and I will say that sometimes I avoid things entirely, but it always comes out in my work. Really, like, I'm not kidding, you know, and especially more and more as I perform on stage, everything is material. I talk about everything on stage. I'm like Mrs. Maisel. Have you watched No, but I, I've heard it's fabulous. It's pretty divine. You should watch mm. it. I love it. And she just talks about everything in her life. And whether it's funny or not, it's going to come out. And that's and that's what it is. It's like, and I feel like as an artist, you understand this. You know, I'm not exactly sure how as, you know, sort of uh, a, a prince or something that night or Siegfried or something or whatever it is you're doing that night. It somehow, it just is an expression of who you are and you are, you are, everything is coming out in that particular show. Well, honestly, I believe that's how you've trained yourself. That's how you've trained yourself. You've trained yourself to put it all in your pirouettes or your, you know, unsupported arabesques or whatever the hell it is that night, you know, on point. I do believe the, the self comes through regardless of, of what one is doing, what role one is playing. So as much as I can try to inhabit a character, you're going to see some of me and you may like it, you may not, but that is entirely up to you. But you will see me, even though I'm pretending to be a straight prince in 1773 mm-hmm. or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think it's a gift you have. And I think it's it's a gift that we have getting to watch you pretend. I think pretending is the greatest thing in the world, pretending to be a straight prince from the 15th century or the 17th century. I think it's a good thing. I mean it. It may not feel good all the time, but it looks good. And I love it. So I love it too. If I didn't love it, I'm, I am a sick person. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear you say that, James. I mean it. So I've got another quote here that I really, really adored. Here goes. It doesn't do to lie. People sense you're lying and you lose their trust. There's a way to mix charm and criticism in order to get the result you want. What does this mean and how can it be applied? Well, you know, I have to say, lying just does never works. Lying is such a bad idea. It's a bad (laughs) idea in every single context, you know, like really like you think a white lie, you know, it's not a good idea. Just don't tell lies. So that's like basically part of my nature that's built mm. into my nature. And, um, and, and, and I think that humor is like the antidote to everything. It's the antidote to everything, sadness and brutality. And, you know, so it's like, if you go in with a funny attitude and you say to someone, Hey, I love you. Here's a problem like that we have to get. And it's, and somehow it's tempered with a smile and a, you know, a, a fun kind of way of yeah. getting to it. I mean, that's of course, considering that you do love them and that you do actually care about them, you know, and that it is something that, so that's what I kind of mean about this attitude, right? I mean it. I, 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 I think humor is the greatest way to kind of put stuff across. And, you know, that always comes through in literature, you know, mm. in 
Shakespeare, you have a million, you know, people who tell the truth, fools who tell the truth in humor and it affects Macbeth or it affects, you know, Falstaff affects like Henry V. You know what I mean? It's like, yes. it's all about that touchstone. And as you like it, any of those fools who like always just tell the truth and it's funny, you know? Mm. And how did you apply that to preparing uh, to debut a new collection or to do a new performance, a new show? Well, say you are not just you're not agreeing with someone you're working with. How do you apply that? I'm not good at that. I'm not good at not agreeing. You know, I learned that very early on, like not so good to collaborate with people you don't like so much, (laughs) you know. Um, For instance, I work with Mark Morris a lot and I love him. And often we disagree. And depending on the context, you know, I usually let him have his way because he's the auteur in that situation, Mm. you know. He's the top in that situation, right? I'm like, you know what? I'll just make your damn costumes. Fuck you. Love you. Here you go. You know, And you're wrong, by the way, or whatever. But then occasionally I will go, you know, if there's a button here that they can't deal with, they'll have to deal with it because it really looks good. You know, mm. I'm, I'm working on these costumes now with these big buttons on them. And I know I can hear in the rehearsals, Mark going, the buttons have to go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go, hey, Mark, can we just try it? Because they're people and they know how to navigate buttons, mm-hmm. you know, what I mean? not just insane, manic, crazy dancers who can't do anything, right? They are actually people. And if you say, hey, watch the button, they might be able to do your work and watch the button at the same time. Yes, I know? completely yeah. agree. And the panic that people have initially will wane and the ability to cope is very important in any work. I know. Like once I made these costumes for San Francisco Ballet a long time ago and they had gloves, uh-huh. you know, and they were like, we can- are you crazy? We're not wearing, what are you nuts? And it was like, okay, here's five dances in which people wear gloves. So what about those shows? Does that mean you can never do, you know, uh, whatever shows that, you know, Gaiety Parisiana, yeah. whatever, you know what I yeah. mean? Like there are shows that you have that require you to wear gloves and they're like, okay, we'll try it. And then they tried it and there was no problem. Yeah. You know, no problem. Panic. Yeah. We don't like it. Crazy. But, you know, I get it because I perform too. So if someone's told me you have to wear this and be funny and sing, <laughs> I would say, fuck you. I can't do it. You know? Yeah. It's like when anyone <laughs> tells me to kneel in their choreography, I say, I'll pass. Thank you. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you also speak about something called spiritual nausea. I don't quite understand. And I'd love to. It sounds Really, uh, well, that is a really very, very big c- conversation to have. It it it, it comes with inspiration mm. to me. You know, it's like I get very inspired, very turned on, very excited, and ready to work. And then I sit down and I go like, "Oh my god, where do I start?" And I go like, "I can't move." Someone put me back in my bed because I have to go back to bed. Yeah, you know, it's like. It, it, it For me, always inspiration is accompanied by this kind of spiritual nausea where it's like, oh, I don't want to do this again. And then the minute, the and the only antidote to that is like forcing your hand and starting. Because the minute you start, you get through mm. it. You know? Absolutely. I mean, it's the first step is always really difficult in, in making Most dance hard. as well. I feel similarly where you have your piece of music picked out and then you're like, Oh crap. Now what? (laughs) Right. How do you pick out music? Oh my goodness. It's so random, honestly. And it comes from inspiration. Um, a piece I'm working on right now is all Tito Puente music, Mambo music. 
And I sort of revisited Tito Puente because my first dance teacher used to play Tito Puente in class all the time. She had this sort of lyrical jazz quality about her classes. She loved Tito Puente. Was it a ballet class? No, it was like lyrical jazz class in Connecticut where I started. And I revisited it and I thought to myself, I have to make something to this music. It's unbelievable. It is so fabulous and would look great with ballet movement and sort of nods of Fosse and Balanchine and all those good things. Mm -hmm. Right. So I definitely understand spiritual nausea. So, okay. This is another quote that I really loved. Pardon me for quoting you so much, but I just couldn't, I couldn't help it. Amazing. I can't believe that it's coming back to me this moment, but. Anxiety among artists who can't see the virtues of their own work. So I love the idea of being an artist and not understanding the importance of what you're doing. And in your work, whether it be on stage or creating or whatever, really, how do you handle your professional anxiety? And and how do you just shove it away and get the job done? You know, um, James, you will find this as you get a little older. It gets easier. It does. It gets really easy. And, you know, and it's, it's kind of harks itself back to this phenomenon of like, you know, well, you're too young for answering machines, I think. No, like, I absolutely had an answering machine. Never hearing your own voice on the answering mm. machine. And you'd be like, is that really what I sound like? You know, it's like, so if you're confronted with an image of yourself or you just suddenly go down, you know, you go down, down a rabbit hole, down a spiral, you spiral downwards. And so you have to learn in the face of that to kind of like put on a bold face. And often you're faking it. You're faking it. You're faking it till you make mm-hmm. it, you know, faking till you're making. But, but as you get older, you realize that, you know, this kind of looking at yourself, wondering, because I have always been about, I'm an appearance person. I I look at people and I make them look differently. I look at myself and I go, how do I make that work? You know, (laughs) visually. And the thing is like, you know, coming from this place where I don't feel that pretty, I'm not a pretty person. So you you, you get the idea. And then when you're old, it just doesn't matter. Mm. And it just... What really matters, what it better, because you otherwise you better go kill yourself, you know, <laughs> but what, what you kind of, you make the decision when you get older, that what matters really is the spirit and the intention, you know, and the more you, the more you invest in that, the more it's true. And the more you realize that it was always true. And all those years you were so worried about what you looked like, you know, and nobody cared. Like all they really cared was that you showed up and that you were good, you know, and that you were good with it and you were okay with them looking at you. And, you know, this is a big lesson today in social media. I don't have the biggest social media presence. You have many, many hundreds of thousands of followers and I don't, you know, but I do get a lot of hate stuff that comes through and I'm sure you get a lot of hate, you know, and it's difficult to deal with, but you know what, as you get into it, you kind of, start to relish it in a, in a way. You go like, okay, well, there's a person out there who doesn't agree with me. Good. Hooray. You know, it's like, I never said I wanted everybody to agree with mm-hmm. me. I actually like it, you know? And of course, if they didn't 
you know, curse me and call me names. It would be nicer if they would stop being so bullyish. But you see what I mean? It's like their own way of showing that they are thinking about you. Yes. And, you know, considering what you just said in some way or listening. You know, oftentimes they're hearing the wrong stuff, you know, but because you don't mean that or mm. whatever it is. And yeah. So that's a great segue, actually. Yeah. You also said bad reviews can kill your business. And, you know, especially in debuting collections and collaborations, I found your approach to sort of letting the, the haters hate to be very inspiring because early in my career as a ballet dancer, and even when I joined American Ballet Theater, um, I was very aware of, you know, the dance critic's ability to essentially really make a career. Uh, and it took me a long time to put the reviews down, and I just don't read them anymore at this point. Because, you know, after so many bad ones, you're like, am I even good? And the answer is, yes, in fact, I am. <laughs> so how did you deal with that? You got to be good with yourself, you know? And you got you to gotta, you gotta kind of believe a little bit in the actual process of the way the world eliminates things, the way the world chooses and or eliminates things, you know? Listen, we were all media stars at some point, right? Like you were you were celebrated and that's what, and I was celebrated like Matt, you know? And the thing is like, and then they start in, they come in, they go, well, by the way, you're also blah, blah, blah. And then they start hating. And then if you're lucky, they start liking you again. It's like a cycle, mm-hmm. you know? And and the thing is, it's not your job. That's not your job. Your job is to just sort of like make the work, mm-hmm. you know, make the work and believe that it will continue to matter, right? To, to whoever, not necessarily to that critic or that critic, but maybe the other critic and the audience. And maybe the audience will invest themselves in your success, yes. you know, James, it's like, then maybe they'll go like, Hey, you got to see him. Cause he's amazing. And no one will remember the review, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I really think that, you know, because for me, I guess my parents were always so impatient. Like it was either straight A's or nothing, you know? And that's the way we're trained. We train ourselves. Like it's either genius reviews, genius tickets at the box office, genius, whatever it is, Or you're going to struggle and struggle and struggle and then fail. You know, that is just not the way of nature. You know, that is just not the way a career is made. And you know Mm -hmm. that, and you're learning that more and more, you know, and you'll see like in the end, it does, everything matters. Like what you think matters really matters. Yeah. And I think in art and in the business of art, perseverance does not go unrewarded. Perseverance is everything. You have to keep at it, you know? And that's what I always, you know, it's if, if ever someone asks me about advice for young people, which is like, oh, don't ask me. <laughs> My advice is run for the hills, darling. You know, like go, don't do anything else but show business or fashion, like anything else, you know? But my advice is always that you, it's it's this it's this thing. It's like I don't I you know I'm sorry that it's about sacrifice. I, I'm sorry I said that thing about sacrifice. What I mean is like you better want to forego everything else for work because if you don't, then it's going to be a problem. Mm. It's going to be a problem. You know. Well, it is sort of really. about sacrifice. Like, say you had a pizza and only one slice was pepperoni. Like you're sacrificing the other slices to being cheese. You know what I mean? 
Yes, I do. And you know what? When you talk about food, especially dancers, you know, they sacrifice food. That's just something they wholesale, like you can't eat. That is that is been, widely I, I, untrue. I I can put down some pizza and pasta like Well, you can, darling, but I mean like ballerinas. I mean like <laughs> I I've had so many friends who've had like eating disorders mm. and you know, so many f- friends who've had like, you know, ballet moms. And I remember yeah. one of my best friends in high school was a ballet dancer and her mother, I, I would pick her up to go out dancing. And her mother would say like, here's t- 10 cents. If she eats, call me because you can't let her. It was like, Oof, I mean, like this was a mother who was you know, bringing up, grooming these ballerinas, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've known so. plenty of unwell people in my day as well. So. And then by the way, I knew like, I'm not sure it was Isabella, but some one of them I'd like be in her dressing room. Like, are you eating all that? Like what the hell? Oh yeah, hell? it's Isabella. And eating it. <laughs> yeah. And no, like Isabella will eat a plate of pasta before she, literally before she goes out, like as she's eating, they're calling her. <laughs> that is actually very, very accurate. Okay. I, I want to talk about perhaps uh, something sort of sensitive here, but upon listening to your words about your friendship with Anna Wintour, I thought about mm-hmm. the ways time and success change relationships. How do you manage letting people go? And how do you know when to? Um, you know, I, I will talk about this because I think it's a smart, important thing to talk about. I, again, it, it all goes back to honesty. I don't lie. I don't make, I don't, I don't need. Also, it's about not needing to hold on. You know, how do you let go? You let go. You don't hold mm. on, you know? And, and in Anna's case or something, you just got to let it go because she's busy and I'm busy. And, and and I really like her. I mean, if I were to see her in the street tomorrow, I would greet her and probably give her a friend, you know, like double-sided kiss, right? Um, and for instance, I, I couldn't go to Andre Leontali's memorial mm. the other day. And I felt terrible about that because I had this engagement with QVC and it started earlier and I was planning on going and then I couldn't. And Sandra and Veronica and some people were calling me and I was trying to go and I just couldn't at the last minute, you know, and I felt kind of terrible about it because, you know, my relationship with Andre was fraught, right? But I loved Andre and he loved me and I know that. And by fraught, I mean, you know, he had certain things that he felt about me and I had certain things that I felt about him. But in the end, he was one of the great geniuses to of our time, you know. And he knew I felt that way. And I knew he felt that way about me, you know. Um, and But we did let it go because that's the business, darling. That's business. You are moving along. It's evolution. Mm. And it's painful. But I think it's really only painful in retrospect, you know, because if you keep on moving forward, you kind of don't even know what the hell is, you know, it just you keep moving forward. And then sometimes you look and you go, oh, that's true. That's that's not that I had to let mm. that go. But you see what I mean? It's, it's, it's natural in the course of work. Again, it's natural to let these things go. You know, I mean, my little dog is very sick. My little dog is very old and I'd probably have to put him down very soon. And that just breaks my heart because that's like a part of mm. my soul. Yeah. You know? I'm sorry. When I eat, he eats when he eats. I, yeah, exactly. I, I, I know that's a different thing. I, I don't know how we deal with that. That's just like, that just hurts your heart. It makes you cry a mm-hmm. lot, you know? But the other thing with like Anna or something or with Andre, I think it's just, I think it's evolution, you know, it's evolution. And by the way, I think that 
many, many, many people will agree with me. They understand, mm. you know, this is the way of the world. Yeah. I mean, that's something I've struggled with as, as I get older and my relationships change. Um, I'm asking you because I, I'm also looking for answers here. And I find it really mm-hmm. difficult. And I struggle with a lot of guilt regarding relationships, familial or friendship-wise. I find it very difficult to let things go because I don't want to feel like I've failed. And this brings me to another thing about love. Right. You said the following. I couldn't bear the idea that I'd failed at love. And I deeply, deeply relate to that. So how does your compulsive drive in your work compared to your desire to make a relationship a success? You know, um, again, James, right? Like when you're 30 and you're in love with your boyfriend and it doesn't work, it's, it's not even so much about what really happened as much as what you expected to happen and what you were disappointed mm, by. Yes. You know what I mean? And that's like the thing that hurts. It's like, wait a minute. I thought we were going to work on this and keep working until we made it, until we made it, you know? Yeah. And sometimes you can't do that. And again, that hurts your heart because you've invested that love, you know? Um, but in the end, when I look back on it, it was supposed to happen. That was supposed to happen. And, and I'm not exactly sure what that means. I just know, again, it's this evolution. And I know a lot of people out there are like, you know, nodding their heads. And probably like older people who have been through the relationship thing a few times are going, oh my God, so much, yeah. you know? And right now I'm so happily married with my husband. And we've been together for like 22 years. It's, like, it's crazy. Mm. And, and it would hurt me terribly if this didn't work out, but I know that it would evolve, you know? I mean, he's a wonderful person. And if it didn't work out, it would be a big surprise to me right now. But if it ever doesn't, if it ever ceases to work between us, it'll be the natural thing that's supposed Mm. to happen. You know, I mean, that's how I run my life. That is how I run my life. This is the natural thing that's supposed to happen. Again, it goes back to being honest and not lying to yourself. And I remember when I broke up with this person you're talking about in, in the book, I thought, and I, I felt like, and he was telling me this, and I thought, what, am I living in the same world? I so was not expecting this, you know? And then after a year, I figured it out. I went, mm, you know what? That was not supposed to be. And I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty happy about that, you know? So everything in time ends up making sense. As you're Aging and aging, you you see that. So even going through it, you go, you know what? In a minute, this is going to make sense. So I'm not going to waste the time and 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 lick these wounds. I'm not going to feel the wounds. You know, I swear, James, this really happens. I know. How old are you, darling? Do you not want to no, say? I'm happy to say, I'm 37. Oh, you're 37. Okay. Well, I'm 39, <laughs> and so I'm telling you, in two years mm-hmm. now, I I just turned 60, which is an insanely crazy happy birthday. Thing. Well, it was in October. Well, anyway. Okay, so I did 60 in October. But, you know, I'm not 61 yet. Okay, but something about, I don't, it's not the number. It's just the, it's, it's, it's the frequency with which these things occur. Yeah. And eventually you just go like, hey, I've been through this before. I'll live. You know, it's hard. It hurts. But I'll be okay. And by the way, about dogs, because I think that's a big part of your life, right? You have a no, dog. No, I had what? a cat for almost 19 years and she passed away last year. Or in 2020, actually. So we're talking about a cat and a dog. And I had a dog for 16 yeah. years and he put down. 
And it was the hardest month of my life, but it was less hard because I knew that it was impossible to define this love as simply linear. You know, oh, well, he was there and he died. This is not what happens with me and Harry. I still talk to this dog. I still have conversations with this dog. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I do. And and so like, you know, right now Dean is going through it. And I, I, my heart, every minute I look at him and I just start crying because he's really, but I know that there's something much more about, about this relationship that you have with your animals, you know, and it's not transcendent. And it's, not, it's just this idea that, the love is so great that it will not be forgotten by me, you know? And so hence, I don't really feel like it's gone completely. Yeah. You know, well, I sure hope it's not. I mean that. Yeah. I mean, we're all dust. You realize yes. that we're all dust. And you, as you get older and older, you realize darling dust. Okay. <laughs> I'm dusty dust. as well. <laughs> dust, my dear. Dust. So I have one more question for you. How is your mother? My mother is, good question, boy. You know what you're talking about, don't you? Um, My mother is, she's well, I guess. You know, here's the thing. She's comfortable. She's safe. She still gets some pleasure out of life, you know, but she's very, very debilitated. By the way, ballet, darling, port de bras, my dear. Think Julie Kent all the time. Think like long neck, think shoulders mm-hmm. back. You have to do this because my mother is this now. She's this. Oh. She's like, ah, you know, I'm not kidding. And we can't. We can't. And I know that if we all think thoughts of Julie mm-hmm. and Allegra and Suzanne and all these amazing ballerinas, we will have this kind of gorgeous carriage into our 90s. Yeah. Okay. Because she's incapacitated. She doesn't walk. She does. She barely walks. I mean, you know, she doesn't really know what to eat. She doesn't really hear anything anymore. You know, she doesn't see very clearly, you know, so it's like the, the faculties just go. And again, it breaks my heart because I love her. You know, I love her. But again, I know she had a great life and I accept things and I know it's the natural mm-hmm. course. And I know that right now she does get some pleasure from certain foods and from certain people who visit her, you know, she does. That's beautiful. I think that's so important. And um, I don't know, just in reading and listening about your relationship to your mother, I think there is something so unique and so special about a mother and her gay son. I really think it to be one of- Are you close to your mom? My mother passed away in 2016, but, you know, we, our relationship was rather fraught, actually. And it, you know, I think that is one of the reasons that I hold on to a lot of guilt regarding relationships because I always think I could have done better. And I, and I tend to be very hard on myself in remembering. Um, So when I think about my mother and our relationship, it, it sounded a lot like the relationship you had, you have rather with your mother and um, makes me wistful and at times regretful, but uh, yeah, I think a, a mother and her gay son is a very special thing, especially her gay artist Let me say son. Two things. Yes. Right, right, exactly. You hit it on the nose. But two things. One, um, yes, my relationship with my mom was fraught like yours, okay? And it's awful to lose her so young, and I'm sorry for you, right? Thank you. 
But the second part, the second thing I want to tell you is I hereby, what's a good word? Absolve you of any of these feelings that you have about your mother, okay? Because you don't deserve that. Nobody deserves this feeling of guilt or feeling that you could have done better or more or something. That is not what it's about. So I, as your drag man or something, <laughs> or whatever how you want to look at me, darling, I absolve you of these feelings. Can I do Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Can, can I do that for you? I mean it, James. And I, you know, I look to looking. you as a bit of a mentor. I hope that's okay. And all the people listening to this, I hope will feel that mm-hmm. sort of mentorship energy coming through the microphone because I think you have so so much to offer people by way of lived experience and love. Well, thank you, my dear. And I mean that, like, because I don't know what you will need to to rid yourself of that. Well, first of all, a really good shrink, you know, (laughs) and then some kind of like a brick to hit you in the head and just get rid of all that shit. You just let it go, darling. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. go. (laughs) We don't have the licensing for that. We can't sing that. Oh, we can't. Okay, sorry. I think three notes are allowed, and that's about it, which is helpful because it's three syllables. Exactly, exactly, exactly. All right. Well, I just want to thank you for being the premier guest of season one, episode one of Front Row with Moi. Well, it's amazing. I, I can't wait to listen to it. I can't wait to listen to the entire series. Congratulations, darling. Thank you. And do you have social channels that you'd like people to follow you at? I do. Follow me at I am Isaac Mizrahi on Instagram. How's that? Fabulous. I am Isaac. And have you got anything gorgeous to plug at the moment? Let's see. Well, at the moment, I don't know. In the next two weeks, I'm appearing at a place in Palo Alto called the JCC. I'm having a show at the JCC in Palo Alto. Fabulous. And Oh, and wait a minute. No, no. Here's what I need to plug, James. Go, do it. You need to come to this. It's a show that I've written called The Third Bird, which is music by Nico Muley mm-hmm. and choreography by John Higginbotham and, you know, written by me, narrated by me, designed by me, directed by me. Fabulous. Starring some amazing dancers, some amazing performers. And so please come. It's going to be at the Guggenheim on June 3rd, 4th, and 5th. I'll be there. Absolutely. I will be there. Do not miss it, darling. The music, The music alone. And then some of your favorite performers. I mean it. Some of your favorite performers, please. I will be there. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Truly. It's been fabulous chatting with you. And hopefully I'll have you back at some point. Thank you. I would love that. You're a doll. Bye-bye. Bye. Don't forget to subscribe and review this podcast. And if you like it, share it with your friends or on social media. You can follow me on all social platforms by searching James Whiteside. My book, Center Center, a funny, sexy, sad, almost memoir, is available everywhere in all formats.